I'm Pig Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome back to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? We apologize for the slight little delay in between all of the games. We know that the Mavericks have got off to the regular season start, obviously. Um, but we actually went to both of the games. And uh, amidst a lot of travel and some other things, um, it was a little bit difficult for us to find a time to record. But shouldn't have really any issues with that even the live games that we go to going forward so um nonetheless we've still been getting content for you guys out um out on the smoking cuban so make sure you guys stay tuned to that but obviously the hot topic of discussion today is going to be the mavericks last two games and how they started the season here um and all the sort of narratives that we can pull uh from the games that we've watched of course the mavericks uh beat the san antonio spurs and victor Wimbanyama. 126 to 119 um, the other day, uh, Wednesday night, October 25th. And then uh, just last night, Friday night, we're recording this on Saturday, uh, the following day, the Mavericks in their season opener at home beat the Brooklyn Nets 125 to 120 beyond some historic, um, you know, sort of heroics there at the end by uh, Luka Doncic uh, within the last three minutes and 22 seconds of the game. Uh, there's a lot to unravel here. It's going to be definitely a longer episode because Jaron and I definitely want to give you guys the due diligence uh, of covering everything holistically that we missed. But uh, before we go ahead and head into the ad break, Jaron, uh, do you have anything else? Uh, not really. I mean, I feel like through the first two games, the Mavericks have looked looked good. Uh, they're one of five teams that are you know two and zero undefeated in the NBA currently, um, where the Orlando Magic currently stands. So you know, take that with a grain of salt, but. Um, yeah, they've looked pretty solid through two games. I don't really know what all to take, um, you know, in anything negative wise, I, you know, I, am not going to, you know, uh, but yeah, you know, I think there's definitely changes to be made. The Mavericks are, uh, looming on a three day break before they play the Memphis Grizzlies on Monday. And I think that there's going to be a lot of changes within the rotation and maybe with some guys decision-making within those three days, just a lot of film session, uh, will be needed. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, the, you know, they look pretty solid. Yeah, well, it is it is three days technically in between games, but it is only two days off. So the Mavericks um, are set to face off against the Grizzlies 7 p.m. on Monday night. They had practice this morning. Um, seemed like it was a pretty uh, solid shoot around. There's some media coverage there, and um, Jason Kidd had a uh, post uh, post practice media availability. I haven't looked extra, you know, I haven't looked at all the quotes from that. I know a few players spoke as well, but. Um, if we see any of those pop up, we will talk about those as, those as well. Um, but before we get into everything, here's an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron. So getting straight to it, we were at the Frost Breaks. Uh, Frost, oh my God, I'm mispronouncing their name because obviously uh, we did not take a liking to how small the personal pan sized pizzas were at the Frost Bank Center. But <laughs> yes, at the Frost Bank Center in San Antonio. We were there Wednesday night when the Mavericks beat uh, Victor Wembanyama in his NBA regular season debut. Uh, it was an eclectic scene, uh, very, very fun festivities besides the uh, parking situation at the end and trying to get out of the stadium. 
Um, but we were able to manage and we're here back for you guys today. So Jaron, uh, from the top, this was obviously a very high profile game. I mean, we can just speak to the energy um, in the arena every time that Wimbanyama made a shot. But, you know, on the other side of things, it was also, of course, uh, the Mavericks, you know, regular season debut. So, you know, there's a lot of anticipation, you know, boiling up on both sides, obviously. And, you know, we were excited as, ever, excited as ever to see the Mavericks for the first time since April. And, you know, off the gate, um, San Antonio seemed like they just couldn't miss. And our offense was stagnating a little, but things ended up coming into fruition throughout the course of the game. And, um, you know, that's kind of what happened to in the Brooklyn game to an extent a little bit. But, you know, that that Spurs game was definitely, a, a, you know, a lot more of a team win, um, you know, just right off the bat. Um, you know, when that from that first quarter, what were your um, sort of uh, takeaways after, you know, the Spurs got off to that hot start? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it, pretty much right away you could feel the Wimby effect uh, within that game, at least through the first six or eight minutes whenever he was playing his first quarter stint. He had that, uh, you know, block where he came across the weak side, had that block on Kyrie Irving, uh, like really early in the game. I think it was only like a minute, maybe even just seconds into the game. I'm not quite sure. Um, but yeah, had that block. And that pretty much, you know, I, in a sense, that kind of like made the Mavericks bench just like fear Wimbenyama even more uh, for like that six to eight minute stretch. Like I said, nobody was penetrating inside. Nobody was even getting any good outside shots. Uh, it was all just kind of scramble offense. Nobody could get any sets going. Uh, not that the Spurs defense necessarily looked great. Uh, it was just the Wimbenyama effect was quite literally being felt. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know about you, Will. I was, you know, a, a little worried, uh, not for the Mavericks sake, but just for the NBA sake. If, you know, his first game in, he was having that much of a draw already. Uh, but, you know, as the game progressed, definitely things sort of to uh, they sort of calmed down. Um, and I really think Derek Jones Jr. was kind of the guy that got involved. Uh, he was the first guy to really drive over Wimbenyama. Uh, not that he scored or anything, but he got fouled twice, I believe it was. And then Wimbenyama started getting in foul troubles with all those offensive fouls. Um, but yeah, you know, after that first quarter, I would say things started to really start going. The Spurs looked really good. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to take any credit from them. I think the Mavericks just played better down the stretch. That second half really hurt the Spurs. Uh, but yeah, in that first quarter, I, I can't even lie. The San Antonio Spurs looked really impressive on the defensive end, uh, you know, partially because of Wimbenyama himself, but also just, you know, they were making shots. Devin Vassell was going off. Keldon Johnson was having his presence felt. Uh, even Jeremy Sohan was like, you know, making threes here and there. I was very surprised with that. I didn't think that he had that in his arsenal, but uh, you know, I guess he's been working on it in the off season. Uh, but yeah, you know, that team, they looked really impressive through the first quarter. Of course, you know, the Mavericks started to come back a little bit. And I think that they're only down by like five or four at halftime. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the halftime score was, but I do know that we allowed 40 points in that first quarter. So definitely the defense was a little uh, lackluster to say the least, but in that second half, I know that we picked it up, but yeah, I mean, you know, just going into halftime, I would say the Mavericks started to look a lot better. Uh, you know, they started to get the ball moving. You know, offensive sets were looking really good. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to touch up on that second quarter at all, Will, but I, I think that it was a complete uh, flip around from that first quarter. No, yeah, definitely. I, I thought that the Mavericks uh, really started to uh, hone in on their offense, you know, in that second quarter. Um, that's when – um, you know, that, that sort of flare out game, um, you know, at the pick with the pick and pop between, um, you know, Luca and Kyrie and, you know, Grant Williams, 
uh, started coming to fruition. He started knocking down a couple threes. Um, that that really, I think, you know, gave Dallas some momentum down the stretch in that half. Um, you know, I thought Derek Lively, obviously, all throughout the game, uh, was making his presence felt. But uh, you know, specifically um, in that second quarter, um, you you really saw um, how effective he was as a rim deterrent. And you know, just to kind of go back. Um, not to really get off topic, but, you know, what you were talking about with Wimbanyama, you know, we talked about a lot about how the Spurs were going to use him in the pregame. And Jaron was very adamant that they were, um, you know, going to try to start Zach Collins at the five and use, you know, Wimbanyama in this sort of freelancer-esque role, you know, maybe hide him on like one of the, Ma- you know, one of the, you know, less dynamic sort of offensive players on the Mavericks, like Grant Williams or Derek Jones Jr. And then kind of just let him help wherever and, uh, you know, be a, you know, sort of stopgap for, um, for any sort of dribble penetration that, you know, otherwise somebody on that weak side corner really couldn't come get to. And, you know, he, he, j- he did just that. And, you know, obviously the, the foul trouble was there, you know, it was his first game. The Spurs are obviously very, you know, operating really gingerly with his minutes. Um, and, you know, on the, the defense, you know, the offensive side of things rather, um, they definitely have a lot more actions that they can unlock with him. Um, you know, I, I liked how they use him, you know, initiating pr- from the perimeter so much, but I also thought that, you know, they got to get him going downhill, stuff like that. Cause he was shooting a lot. So that's going to be really intriguing, you know, just to, to talk about how, you know, his career going forward and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, to resurface, um, you know, back to the Mavericks in that second quarter, um, you know, I thought Luka Doncic did a great job of putting more pressure on the rim, uh, especially, you know, throughout those sort of periods, um, you know, where, where offense was um, starting to get kind of stagnant. Um, you know, he was really able to kind of just get to that in-between game, um, either, you know, just use, um, you know, his, his pure strength and then sort of just stop on a dime you know, a couple feet away and just flip up that little like push shot or floater, you know, he, he did that for a couple in ones. And I, I thought that that, you know, definitely gave, gave the Mavericks momentum, you know, as well as Derek Lively's, you know, interior presence and and how, how, how much of a mass effect uh, that was when, you know, the Spurs wings um, were, were driving downhill, you know, he, he did just a great job of, of being that help side defense and, you know, I thought I thought he did a pretty good job on Zach Collins too, even though he had some tough buckets on him. We know, we know when he was, you know, matched up one on one down with him in that dunker spot. But you know, the Mavericks did come out, you know, shooting the ball pretty hot in that first quarter. Um, you know, the Spurs honestly almost just got hotter. Uh, we I remember you know us talking in the stands like, wow, you know, they just can't miss. But you know, it, it a lot of it was attributed to you know some of those misrotations on the wing stuff like that for the Mavericks. Um, you know, when they were playing defense, uh, there were a couple instances where guys were kind of just sagging off of shooters, maybe not even giving them the respect that they deserved. And, you know, um, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, they were, you know, making some tough uh, mid-range jump shots, some some tough pull-up threes. And I think that that um, really started to open up their dribble drive game for them. And I, I honestly do think that, you know, in just in that first half, Spurs did a good job of controlling the pace of play compared to the Mavericks and, you know, on long misses, they were doing a better job of getting out in transition, stuff like that. So um, overall, the Mavericks played a much more stout defensive second half. Uh, they clamped down, clamped down on a lot of the, you know, uh, I thought the the rim penetration that was just killing them. Cause you know, once the Spurs got off to a hot, hot student shooting start, 
the Mavericks just started conceding a lot of dribble, uh, single dribble blow buys, things of that nature. It almost looked like they were, um, you know, just too scared um, to contest in that second half to an extent sometimes, but ended up paying dividends because San Antonio was not able to shoot near as well. Um, so that that's kind of uh, my, my sort of wrap up um, for how that, that first half came to a close. Um, you know, both in the Brooklyn game and the Spurs game, Kyrie definitely had a really, really slow first half and kind of got it turning around in the second half, but probably a little bit more so in this, in the, uh, San Antonio game, but, you know, to open up that, that third quarter, Jaron, um, you know, in the second half at large, um, you know, just talk about how, how much more locked in the Mavericks were from a defensive standpoint, just like a scheme standpoint, it seemed like there were a lot more charges being taken, um, the, the sort of connectivity of the rotations uh, was just uh, a lot more synchronized than it was in that first half. Yeah. You know, I, and uh, I guess just kind of touch upon the charges. Uh, I think that in the Brooklyn game, they had four and the San Antonio game. I want to say that they had two. Um, yeah. I mean, just cutting off passing lanes, cutting off driving lanes, uh, getting to those, you know, sort of, um, you know, guys going downhill, or, you know, the guys coming off screens or, you know, anything like that. The, the Mavericks did a really good job in both these games of getting down there um, and kind of aiding in that sort of help side de- defense. Uh, but, yeah, you know, in terms of that second half of that Spurs game, I think that the Mavericks did a really good job of playing, you know, just not not necessarily off-ball defense on uh, Wimbenyama, uh, but really good ball denial in general. I, and, you know, in large part, that was Grant Williams. I think Jason Kidd made the correct uh, adjustment to put Grant Williams on Wimbenyama. I'm not quite sure if that was the main assessment in the first half, like if Wim- if uh, Williams was playing on Wimbenyama. I, I think they were kind of just showing him a different uh, – I my recollection in the first half, they were showing him like a variety of different looks. I remember yeah. like, you know, Derek Jones Jr. got matched up. Yeah, he, he started out with him, yeah. They were just throwing – they were just throwing, you know, sort of the kitchen sink of, of wings and big men at him. But, I mean, we've seen throughout these first – um, two games that the Mavericks are switching a lot more in defense. And that's something we'll get more to in the Brooklyn game for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, just pretty much anytime that Wim was in the game, Grant Williams is in the game. Uh, he was sort of his main uh, defender. There was only one really bad possession that I saw out of Grant Williams. He still got to him. Uh, they set like a, um, I, I don't quite know, but it was F like off like the low block. They set a screen. Uh, and they got Grant Williams was kind of being slow. Webb and Yama got the shot, had, had like a mid-range shot, and it was, you know, fairly easy for him. That was in the fourth quarter. But outside of that, I thought Grant Williams played excellent defense against Webb and Yama. Uh, really good ball denial, kept him out of the paint at large. Um, you know, other than that one and one that he had whenever Maxi allowed him in on like that transition, like that was really about it as far as Webb Yama going to the rim. He had an, uh, an alley-oop. But outside of that, like I said, like there's really nothing – um, that I can really gripe about. But yeah, Grant Williams played amazing defense. Um, and as just far as the defense as a team, like there's a lot of adjustments. I thought uh, Luka Doncic was playing really good defense. I was very surprised. I don't, you know, I don't expect this to be something that, you know, sticks throughout the whole entire season because again, we're only two games in. Once we hit that January, December stretch, I think that things might be slowing down a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been very, very surprised with Luka's defense through two games. Uh, but Definitely noticeable in that San Antonio game. I thought the team was just, like you said, to your point, you know, just playing really switchable defense outside of, uh, you know, uh, Grant Williams' assignment on Wimbenyama. 
Uh, but as far as the offensive side of it goes in the second half, I thought the Mavericks did a really good job of keeping the game simple. Um, you know, women Yama has the effect where he can have one foot in the paint and one foot outside the paint and he can get out to a perimeter shooter within one step. Like that's just how long and lengthy that guy is. Um, I thought the Mavericks did a really good job of sort of drawing him to the strong side and then kicking it right out to the weak side and having someone drive, whether it was Tim Hardaway Jr., Kyrie Irving, whoever it was, uh, the Mavericks did a really good job of, you know, kind of getting to the weak side and then penetrating, uh, which pretty much took Wimbenyama out of the play entirely. And I thought, you know, just keeping it that simple was really the bread and butter for the Mavericks and why they got the win in the first place. Uh, but yeah, I know that Luca, uh, you know, the perimeter shooting started to get going too. Grant Williams had a few threes here and there. Uh, Luca, of course, had his handful of threes. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other shoot. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. He went off in that San Antonio game. No, uh, yeah, he yeah, actually I, did. He had a better game in the Brooklyn game, but well, um, I, I don't know about a better game, but he had a better shoot, uh, better points scored in the Brooklyn game. I would say. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, to my point, I think that uh, the perimeter shooter started to get going for the Mavericks. Uh, and like I said, you know, I thought they made the correct adjustment out of halftime uh, as far as offense goes, and just keeping it simple getting women Yama to the strong side or weak side, whatever it was. And then, you know, sort of drawing him uh, or going to the other side and pretty much driving from there. Uh, And I I think that's really what the Mavericks did from there on out and getting in transition that team. uh, I mean, I'm not, I think that they had 115 possessions per hundred or however the, however that status counted, uh, which, you know, that might even be mo or like that might be more than they had entirely last year. Um, You know, they were getting out in transition. They were scoring really quickly. Uh, the sets, you know, were not, they weren't taking 20 seconds to go. It, it was always under like 40, 14 seconds, 15 seconds here and there. Like, you know, the offense looked really, really smooth. Josh Green started getting things going. Um, I was very surprised. I thought the Mavericks looked amazing. You know, I know we'll talk about Derek Lively and his emergence in that second half. Uh, but I, I mean, things looked super crisp in that second half offensively. And like I said, you know, just keeping it simple, I think is why the Mavericks won the game. Yeah, no, and I really like the the point you brought up of how the Mavericks were, you know, really trying to dictate the, you know, where Wim Banyama was on the court. And, you know, with Luca's, Luca and Kyrie for that matter, with their ability to, you know, make some of those cross court passes, use the drag dribble out of double teams, um, that that definitely um can open up those driving lanes for guys like Josh Green. I mean, even, you know, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, even Grant Williams, you know, and he He's had a couple times so far where he's attacked off a closeout. He had that he had and one in that uh San Antonio game. And then, you know, last night versus Brooklyn, you know, he attacked off a closeout, stopped on a dime, pulled up for a little mid-range shot. So, you know, there's, you know, a little bit more dynamism that we're seeing from that wing position, you know, thus far, uh, compared to last year. Obviously, you know, I, I don't think all of those guys, you know, between Derek Jones Jr., Grant Williams, uh, and Josh Green you know, through two games, or maybe besides Grant, because he had a really good first game, but through two games, you know, I, I know specifically in, you know, Derek Jones Jr. in his case and, and Josh last night, I know that they obviously, you know, need to showcase that dynamism a little bit more because right now it does, you know, seem very top heavy in terms of where the offense is being delegated. And, you know, with Luca and Kyrie, um, you know, initiating every time, um, that that's, you know, completely okay. If both of them are, you know, going off, you know, at the same time, then, you know, at that point, the, the offense should just essentially revolve around them. Cause you know, that's, um, you know, two guys at both ends of a fidget spinner that, 
Um, I guess fidget spin fidget spinner actually has three sides. I'm stupid. Um, but you know, that that's pretend it has pretend uh Mark Cuban. Yeah, Mark, no, Mark Cuban's on the other side of the fidget, fin- yeah, uh, there you fidget go, there spinner. <laughs> and they're all three just going off and um you know, just just spinning around essentially. Um, you know, just just kicking it. But you know, when you know you add um uh, another piece of that equation like you know a josh green and you know you try to also divvy out his shots for you know distribution um you know between those guys is kind of you know interesting how it's going to add up over the course of an 82 game season and you know for him to take that next step um josh green has to be the guy and this sounds you know very like a very complex ask i guess from him but you know, he has to be the guy because Luca and Kyrie, yes, as good as great as they are, they're not going to be 100% every night, you know, giving you, you know, the the full smorgasbord. I mean, maybe Luca at this going right, you I mean, it might be his MVP season, but, you know, Kyrie's going to have his games where he goes off for, yeah, like 45, but he may have some games where he has like 20 or so. And, you know, if Josh Green can be the the guy that steps up, you know, when, you know, one of Luca or Kyrie is having somewhat of a down, a down game and, you know, can if, if he can supplement, um, you know, the offense coming from there, you know, obviously him along with Tim as well. And, you know, Tim's done a decent job of that thus far. Um, you know, that's obviously um, going to be big going forward. And right now, you know, I'm I'm more so, you know, I guess just talking about from an, an initiation standpoint, you know, Luca and Kyrie are basically doing everything um, They're You know, if, you know, Tim or Josh have scored, it's typically, you know, Tim have, has had a few um, definitely had some, you know, dribble handoffs ran for him and stuff like that, where he's been able to, you know, sort of make a play for himself at the top of the key, but it's mainly just, you know, shoot if the guy goes under on the screen or pass it off. And, you know, with Josh, um, I would just like to see him be a little bit more aggressive in one-on-one scenarios, but I mean, yeah, the, the, you know, had Kyrie been on during that game, you know, we're, we're not even probably having this discussion, right. You know, at that point, um, you know, I think Luca and Kyrie uh, alone, you know, just based on how Luca played in that in that San Antonio game, uh, would have been enough to you know put the game away a lot more decisively than it was. Yeah, no, I I most definitely agree. I think there's going to be a lot of weight on Josh Green, maybe not a lot of weight uh, necessarily, but a lot of you know uh, potential weight that's going to be on Josh Green's and potentially Tim Hardaway Jr.'s shoulders. Uh, if, you know, necessarily one of those guys isn't getting it going, uh, or like you said, if one of them are out, you know, hurt injury, whatever, what it, whatever it is, uh, you know, it's going to be their job to sort of pick up on that, uh, whatever, whether it's playmaking or scoring aspect of it. Um, and Josh Green, I felt like he did a really good job in that first game against San Antonio. I thought he did a really good job of creating, um, whether it was off the screen. I thought that, you know, he had that one, uh, bank three right before the third quarter ended. No, yeah. Honestly, I think that that was all sk- or not skill, but like, I think that he meant to do that. Maybe not necessarily hit bank, but you know, it was definitely online. Uh, and you know, to his credit, he had a lot of shots like that in the preseason game against the Pistons where he's kind of just screaming downhill and had like a, a pull up three or a pull up uh jumper, whatever it was. And I think he's definitely been working on that. Um, it's, I'm interested to see how that shot goes moving forward, but, you know, also for the case for Tim Hardaway, um, you know, you, you expected the Tim Hardaway moments, but he was also able to play make a little bit too. I think he had a little dump off pass down low to Derek Lively. Uh, I can't remember if it was in the Brooklyn or the Spurs game, honestly, he's in the Brooklyn, um, game. the Brooklyn game. Yeah. He had that little dump off, uh, to Derek Lively where, you know, uh, I was going to try to run with the narrative in my, don't worry. I was going to try to run with the narrative in my article that Tim Hardaway Jr. is doing a little bit better as a playmaker. Cause you know, I saw that play 
last yeah. night the game, obviously. And I looked at the box score and he had one assist. So I was oh, like, okay. okay. I th- I that, was the, that was the only one. That was the only one. <laughs> yeah. I thought he had like two or three assists. No, I, know. no I mean, <laughs> but still like, you know, just that ability to sort of draw the defense in and yeah. you know, whether it's – It'll open Lively. up passes for him. Yeah, exactly. He just whether has it's forced to make despite how bad his shot selection may be. Hey, yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. There you go. That, that's, that's what the Mavericks needed. So, uh, but yeah, you know, to that point, I think it's going to be important for Josh Green uh, not only to develop, uh, you know, pretty much everything that we've been talking about, but also just from this season going on, you know, he has that playmaking in him. Uh, and I think he, maybe not necessarily carry, uh, but I think he has the ability to be that second creator, you know, say if uh, Luca or, you know, Kyrie Irving are out um, for whatever reason, I think that he has that ability to sort of fill in as best as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of want to touch up on Derek Lively's performance a little bit because what was it like 16 points, 10 rebounds? I think he had a block or two in there as well. Yeah. Um, seven of eight, yeah, from I mean, field. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. Uh, 87%. I don't know if you said that or nine of eight, or eight of nine, whatever it was. Yeah, 87%. And I, I mean, for a debut, I looking better than Wimbenyama, it was absolutely incredible. It was electric. Uh, he had that dunk over, um, I get what was it? Uh, Zach Collins. I don't know why I was blanking on that. He had that dunk over Zach Collins, multiple over, multiple over Zach Collins, actually. Uh, but the one where he put Zach Collins pretty much on his ass and uh, had that, you know, DeAndre Jordan-esque type dunk. I mean, we were like the three of like 30 Mavs fans that were in. No, nah, honestly, there was, there was a little bit more Mavs fans. But well, in our section, uh, we there yeah, was in our more. section, we were like three of four uh, yeah. Mavs fans. And, you know, we were standing up, getting rowdy. It was it was yeah. fun. And, you know, the Spurs fans did not like us at the end of the game. But no, they did not. It, it, was, it was wild. You know, it was pretty fun. But, um, yeah, you know, his ability to roll and not just roll, but like, Roll with intent. I, we haven't had that in a while. You know, Dwight Powell, I think in the 21 season was honestly really good at doing that. Yeah, it was the best season. Best Dwight yeah. Powell version we've seen. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I definitely yes. agree with that. Uh, but last season, I, I mean, we saw maybe what, like two or three pick and rolls with him per game. And it, it was just not to the same effect that it was the previous year. I think having a guy that can, you know, not just athletically get up, you know, to touch the top of the backboard, but also, you know, to have the ability to roll with intent and draw such a defensive like assignment. I, I don't know. Like Derek Lively is going to be massive for this team. I'm I'm a little worried that, you know, or I guess not worried because uh Jason Kidd, not that he had a good excuse for not using him down the stretch in the Brooklyn game, but it, it was a valid excuse. I can live with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I was a little worried by that, but outside of that, I thought that he played um, amazing yeah, in both well, games. Well, I, it's a valid excuse if it's something that happens for for one game, but we're, we'll talk. Yeah, about we'll it. we'll see. Yeah, that's why yeah. that's why I'm not too mad yet. Yet. Yes. Um. But yeah, I think he played a total of thirty point five minutes or thirty and a half minutes. Yeah. In a Spurs game and pretty much every second that he was on the, um, you know, whether it was a dunk or some sort of defensive, uh, you know, not defensive, uh, you know, moment or whatever, but like he he was he had his presence felt and uh, it was definitely electric. I think his ability to guard in the perimeter and guard in space has definitely been squashed. I know that that was not necessarily one of his uh, knacks or anything like that, but it was definitely a question mark in his game. And uh, through two games, I can I can confirm in person, we both can confirm in person, uh, that that is looking amazing. And, uh, you know, I, that's why I don't really understand Jason Kidd's excuse of small ball five yeah, we'll is because he looked really good in guarding in space. So we'll leave it there. Uh, but, yeah, well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, specifically with that guarding in the perimeter stuff. I mean, you even look at the um 
the points where he had to guard Wimbanyama one-on-one because there were times that, you know, he brought the ball up the court so fast or they they threw an outlet pass to him and Derek was just there, the only guy who, uh, with comparable size. So he, he kind of just had to guard him out at the three-point line, you know, something he's really not even, custom, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, used to doing it all in his career. And, you know, Wimby made some tough-ass threes. Uh, I, I think it was a sort of reclamation thing for him after he got in foul trouble and, you know, he he was trying to get that arena riled up by reigning in threes, you know, all seven foot five of him. Uh, I think if he had a, been a little bit more tactical in his approach, uh, then he he probably could have had some more points uh, against the Mavericks. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the Mavericks, obviously, you know, with the game planning and getting him in foul trouble and all that sort of stuff, they did an excellent job at, you know, making, you know, the main distraction of, you know, what could potentially, you know, derail their season opener, uh, you know, sort of by the wayside. Um, but, you know, even like what, like what I was saying, uh, you know, Derek was there, you know, contesting. He was in Wimby's eyes, you know, his his hands drenched all over his face, essentially, um, on some of those pull-up threes. And, I mean, yeah, like they went in, but, I mean, they, you know, he has yet to, you know, have a possession. When I've seen him guard, you know, even guards, wings, head up, you know, on the perimeter um, where it was just, you know, a complete, um, you know, monstrosity of a possession and like everything just went wrong you know there, there's been times he's got beat sure but i mean he's either at least been like really close or you know to, to making a, a recovery block or something like that or you know they've you know it's kind of just a, a tougher ish shot and he got a decent contest on it but there haven't been just a lot of blatant mishaps from that perspective so i i definitely agree with you you know we'll talk about that but I mean, specifically in that San Antonio game, he just did a really good job staying light in his feet, uh, being able to switch. I mean, he, he looked like an NBA uh, starting caliber rim protector, better than a lot of guys that I, uh, I've seen play uh, this thus far into the uh, two games that we've seen this season, uh, which is obviously saying a lot. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll continue to play at this rate, but I mean, it's a huge credit to his development and his work put in just the last couple months in summer league. I mean, I was there at summer league and, you know, I've been there these past two games it has been night and day difference between, you know, this guy's body. Um, you can definitely tell maybe he just put on a, at least a, you know, 10, 15 pounds of, of muscle. And, you know, on top of that, um, you know, his screen setting ability, um, you know, his um, just IQ um, and it, like he's, you know, executing scram switches, um, you know, at, at, at the, beginning portion of you know the the shot clock on defense to to get the right matchup stuff like that i mean just really being ahead of the game for a 19 year old rookie um you know and not something that uh, a lot of guys can do and i mean his his frame size and athleticism speaks for itself it's definitely nba ready obviously you'd like to see him add you know he still needs to add more muscle he's not completely there yet he's it's not like you know, he's, he's going to be the best rebounder every time he steps out there. There are going to be those moments. And, you know, against the better NBA rim protectors, he's, you know, still obviously, you know, going to struggle to extend for the guys that just do better at, you know, what he's doing. But there's just so much encouraging stuff. You know, he's raining down threes today at practice. You know, I know he kind of learned that corner three from um, his mom, um, Kathy Drisdale. So, you know, when I, she played at Penn State back in the day, stuff like that. So there's a lot of cool story stuff i know we've talked about his character and stuff um you know just his upbringing so you know, you know take that all in tandem with you know the on-court intangibles um and you know the way that he played in that san antonio game you know with those putback dunks i mean everything i mean just big time huge plays i mean you know all rookie team type stuff 
Um, you know, if, he, if he's going to be producing at this club at, at this rate to be, you know, starting caliber NBA center, you know, aver- you know, averaging potentially a double double his first year. I mean, that that's what he showed he could do when given 30 minutes. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm going off of here. So, but I mean, beyond that, um, obviously we just got to see a way bigger sample size of him going forward and see more, but, you know, he has proven to me, at least through the first few games to, or the first two games rather, that he is the best easily, or obviously we know he's the best room protector on the Dallas Mavericks, but um, you know, best center, um, best offensive center. Um, he's starting to prove that as well. And at that point, you, you know, there's just not a lot of excuses to, to not start him um, to Jason Creed's credit. But I mean, yeah, just his, his presence as a rim runner, as a screener, um, you know, even more so I thought as a, as a rebounder and an enforcer uh, in that San Antonio game compared to that Brooklyn game, I thought he shot away from that a little bit. Um, but no, I mean, it was just all, all splendid. And I mean, there's, you know, even it's like crazy because, you know, you, we even look at the preseason and, you know, he was making a lot more, uh, sort of rotational mistakes. Um, there were a lot of, a lot more times he was out of position in the preseason. I, I was questioning if he was going to be ready. I mean, talk about, you know, an absolute, I wouldn't even say 180 from that, but maybe 90 degree turn because, you know, he was already kind of going in the right direction. Um, you know, he's just been. Yeah, very impressive to me. And, you know, that San Antonio game, um, you know, one of the best memories uh, definitely I'll have were, you know, us, all three of us, you know, getting really hyped, you know, when he threw down that lob over Zach Collins, you know, we couldn't quite tell if he, you know, how much he threw it in at first and it kind of rattled in. So it wasn't as cool, but if he was able to get a clean, yeah. <laughs> clean throw in on that, man, we would have been going absurd. And then that uh, obviously the um, um, tripping, um, what was oh the uh, putback dunk? Yes. And oh yes, yeah. No, that second. was wild. So, it came out of yeah. nowhere. Like yeah, it came out of nowhere. <laughs> that was I mean, wild. The fact and and another thing uh, before you, I hit it to you, Jeremy, but he just stayed so poised. Um, you know, d- despite how big the moment is, these are huge national TV games. You know, I mean that that's not easy as a rookie to just you know stay locked in during those moments. And you know he's not like just you know he's made his free throws. His shot form looks good. You know, obviously you know he's missed a couple free throws, of course, but you know he hasn't just hasn't gotten to the point where they've had to hack him at the end of games or anything. I mean, it's just been uh, really excellent across the board uh, from him on, on all fronts. Yeah, absolutely. I 1000% agree with what you just said. And, you know, to your credit about him staying poised, uh, I, I think that he's looked amazing. Um, not just from like on the point on the court standpoint, but also like you said, like just staying poised, staying connected within the moment. I think that he's looked extremely well uh, in that department and not just that, but, you know, I think his, as you said, his free throw shooting, you know, I, I think it looks really clean. I think his jumper, you know, you can tell whenever it's a miss, you can tell when, or maybe not necessarily a jumper because he hasn't really had that yet, but like his free throw, you can see whenever it's going to be a miss. You can see, or you can tell whenever it's going to be made just by, you know, his release, his mechanics and stuff like that, which I think is a very uh, good sign in terms of, you know, his shooting going forward. And I know he like, does, he practice. has really good follow through and shooting mechanics. Yeah. A lot of, Cause you know, a lot of seven footers, they kind of just like almost like kind of push it up there because they're just so close to the basket. But he follows through fully. He, he does have a very good understanding of where, you know, how to align his body. And that's not easy at that, those sort of dimensions. Yeah. I would have definitely agree that his mechanics have, you know, looked really, really good, uh, you know, granted through two games, but they've looked really solid um, really quickly, just because I feel like we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't talk about that Luca dagger uh, at the end of the Spurs game. Um, I, I want to say it was tied at 119 or uh, it was 118 to 119 with like two minutes left in the game. The Mavericks held the Spurs scoreless in the final two minutes. I do know that. 
Um, and not just that, but the, you know, they looked really, really good uh, whenever they did score. I believe it was, you know, a corner three from both. Um, or I think Grant Williams is like in the three minute mark, but I know it was a corner three from Kyrie Irving uh, where he was able to just kind of, um, you know, flare out, not flare out necessarily, but just kind of flow to the corner uh, whenever Luca was driving. That looked really good. Luca was able to find him. And then, of course, uh, nailed that corner three really confidently. Um, and then I want to say it was, yeah, that that breakaway uh, or that, uh, you know, yeah, that breakaway uh, layup that Kyrie Irving had where I think it was him, Josh, and Luca uh, were on the on the fast break where he was able to find Luke, uh, Kyrie for that wide open layup. And then, of course, uh, you know, Luka Doncic in Luka Doncic fashion closes out the game with a step back three at the top of the key. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was pretty much nothing but net. Um, and that's whenever the Spurs fans really started to hate us because we got up out of our seats, looked behind us and started waving bye-bye um, as we should. I, and I think and it's saying it audibly. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. We were saying it audibly. I remember getting some mean mugging uh, or some, some people were mean mugging us. Um, I mean, it's San Antonio, you know, they're supposed to be our quote unquote big brother. So uh, that felt good to do. But yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Lucas, I, I think that where it's like, I think the conglomerate of Texas teams are all, I mean, just if, if we're looking at the historic pedigree, uh, I guess, of, well, no, that's, that's a feeble argument, but if we're looking at the, um, yeah, I guess the 2000 onwards from that era, I'd say yeah. everybody's about equal. Uh, yeah, I would have. Oh, well, no, no, 2010 onwards. Um, yeah, because I guess the Mavs have won one, the Spurs have won one, and uh, the Rockets just kind of sucked, but they at least made yeah. it to the conference finals a few times. So, yeah, that was um, really... and well, I mean, I was just more so talking, yeah, but you know, from the success that the franchise have had the last couple of years, but no, I mean, definitely like the Spurs, you know, throughout the early 2000s, obviously. Yeah, they were um, running the table. You run the table, but I mean, the Mavericks are right there with them. They just never seemingly crossed that, you know, dynasty echelon where they were winning, you know, every year, but there were still 50, 60 win games, you know, you know, dating back to, you know, when Dirk really started coming into, into itself. But I mean, obviously way off topic, but no, I mean, I really like what you said, not just about like Luca closing out the game, but um, everybody in that San Antonio game, I thought, um, who was playing there at the end between that closing lineup of Josh Green, Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, Grant Williams, and Derek Lively II, um, I, I thought that they all, you know, finished the game extremely decisively. Um, everybody was playing good there down the final stretch, and especially the defensive intensity um, and how, how concentrated it was in those um, you know, really important moments. I was really impressed by, and then obviously the shot making on the other end. I know Kyrie talked about a little about that post game, but you know, Grant shot making there at the end, all that sort of stuff. That was, um, you know, really big, but, you know, transitioning into the Brooklyn game, Jaron, um, it was definitely, uh, you know, there was, there's definitely some parallels we can draw, uh, between the San Antonio, uh, and the Brooklyn game. I mean, obviously like they're, you know, relatively like similar scores, but I do think that the defensive effort in that Brooklyn game um, may have been the the best defensive effort between any of the halves the Mavericks have had this season, in my opinion. And, um, you know, in that second half, you know, like we kind of referenced earlier in the podcast, it was, you know, just heliocentric Luka Doncic go to work. Um, but I think that there are a lot more things to take away from that Brooklyn game too, because, in that San Antonio game, you know, give, you know, granted it is the first game of the season, 
you know, guys have a lot of jitters and stuff like that. You know, I'm not saying saying that we can take anything, you know, definitive away from the Brooklyn game, but, you know, we start to, you know, just get more of a, you know, feel for who this team is and, you know, what the idealistic rotation, things of that nature, what that should be. And um, I think that the Brooklyn game, it definitely, you know, had a lot of positives. It's kind of like I talked about in my uh, post-game recap uh, on the Smoking Cuban, um, but it also, you know, across the board, like there were just, um, there were a lot of deficiencies that, you know, maybe weren't present either in the San Antonio game or, um, or they were, and, you know, they were also present in the Brooklyn game. So a lot of things to dive into with that. Obviously, you know, starting the first quarter off, um, the Mavericks got off to a really hot start off the gate. Uh, things were kind of seemingly clicking on all cylinders uh, for them on offense, but Brooklyn was almost equally firing back. They were making some really tough shots in that first quarter. Uh, Mikhail Bridges was making some contested threes, and I honestly thought that the Dallas defensive effort, like I alluded to, uh, was really good um, in that first half. They, you know, they went to matchup zone, I think, a few times. Um, I can't say that for sure, but, you know, looking from where we were at, at that almost press box angle, um, it, it did look like, um, you know, they were putting a guy in the ball and, you know, kind of playing almost like a, you know, two, three for the rest of everybody or one, three rather. Um, and then, you know, um, they were also just switching a lot and, you know, they had to match the um, small ball approach that Brooklyn took with Nicholas Claxton out um, ahead of the game. And, you know, the Mavericks, I thought, honestly did a good job of inflicting their own play style on them in that first half and, and you know, not falling victim to the small ball lineup. Like I, I thought having Derek Lively out there, seeing how switchable he was, I, I thought that that was going to be something that was going to, um, you know, really um, you know, help Dallas uh, start to take the game away in the second half, um, help them run away with things um, because – he was able to, you know, be as switchable as we talked about. Uh, but on the other side of things, you know, he was um, a pretty stout interior presence just because of his size alone. Even if some of those wings, you know, on the nets like Brent, Ben Simmons, Dorian, uh, Royce O'Neal, some of those bigger body guys. Yeah, they definitely outmanned him for some rebounds a few times, uh, which we'll obviously have to get better at. But, you know, defensively, they were just having a rough time trying to get anything around him and, you know, I really kind of just like the dynamic that provided in the first half. Um, and, you know, like we had talked about with, uh, you know, that shot making in the, in the first quarter, uh, the Mavericks uh, came out the gate hot. Um, in that first half, I thought they did a better job of getting out in transition, stuff like that. And like the beginning of the third quarter, too. Like, I remember one play that comes to mind is when Kyrie had that tap pass and transition to Derek Jones Jr. Yeah. Um, off the um, – you know, outlet pass, I believe, by Luca that had got tipped off or something like that. Like there were uh the Mavericks were doing, I thought, a lot better job of, you know, getting out on long misses, you know, trying to push the ball um, you know, throughout the game, maybe compared to the San Antonio game. Um, you know, I thought they were getting to their sets just as fast, but they it was a little bit, you know, of an increased emphasis on playing fast, especially with how small that Brooklyn lineup was. But um, you know, I, I do think that the transition defense um, you know, despite the half court defense being good, I, I think that that may have been a little bit under talked about in the first half. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say that it was something that I want to harp on too heavily because it's at the end of the day, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is kind of like a, you know, 30, lower thirties percent career three point shooter. And, you know, he obviously took a huge bump with playing in Dallas with Luca and stuff like that. And, you know, he definitely 
you know, proved his worth even a little bit in Brooklyn as a shooter. But, you know, I just, I, I didn't know that, you know, he's going to come out, you know, firing like this, this season, even, you know, with, uh, him being the primary creator on that team. And I mean, we'll see obviously going forward. I'm not taking anything away from one game, but he came, uh, he came back to Dallas on a vengeance arc and, um, you know, Jaron and I, uh, and our friend that were there, we actually, um, missed the, um, pregame show for Dorian, uh, the commemoration that the Mavericks put on. We found out that they did that, um, later on Twitter, unfortunately. So it sucks. And, you know, we'll get a little bit into Dorian and everybody else at the end of the podcast, obviously, um, you know, deeply appreciate his time in Dallas um, and, and what he's, you know, done, not just on the court, but everything for the city being here the last like six or seven years has been huge. But uh, they played the the Dinwiddie Vengeance or the Dinwiddie, uh, not Vengeance, the Dinwiddie um, commemoration video as well. Uh, but they did it between the first and the second quarter. And after that, I believe in that second quarter, um, he was just pulling up on fast breaks, just chucking threes and just draining them got you know hand in his face coming off a screen guy chases him over the screen he's still shooting it made a couple like that uh there were also some hoists uh that you know turned out equally as bad for him and hit like the side of the rim just like we saw in dallas but you know he definitely had one of those more prolific shooting games and um that you know his ability to push the ball is is you know underrated he was he did this in dallas a lot too you know just lead he leads um, a lot of those uh, fast breaks into transition threes, especially with the personnel that the Nets have, um, you know, with Simmons wasn't trailing or somebody like that, they want to come in downhill. I mean, you know, all those guys, all those three and D wings, it's like, you know, you might as well take three over two. So he he does a good job pushing the pace for them, getting those, then those, those threes that they were firing up, they were, the Nets were shooting a lot last night uh, from, you know, beyond the arc, especially with Claxton out, not having that role game really to go to. Um, you know, but other than that, I, I did think the defensive effort, um, across the board in the first half was the best out of the four halves we've seen this season for the Mavericks. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I don't mean to cut off the flow of the podcast, but UNT just scored a touchdown to take the lead. They uh, actually come back fashion. I, I saw your face. So I knew that that was probably the case, but, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously um, for those of you guys that don't know, Jaren and I go to UNT and we did not go to the game just to do this podcast. Yeah. Just to do this we, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Strictly almost because of that, like. You know, we we had the luxury to go. It is a rainy day here in the DFW area, um, but UNT after trailing, uh, I believe, uh, ten to thirty one to ten. Yeah. Thirty one to ten could have been seven to thirty one. Is up on Memphis, who is not bad. They're five and two right now. And we're three and four. We have some unfortunate losses under our belt, but uh, as you know, notable uh, Mavericks broadcaster and UNT alum himself, Mark Follow will t- will tell you, um, he does some stuff for the UNT GameCast, I think, as well. Um, he, um, you know, he'll tell you that, you know, the mean green this year, they've, they've bared some unfortunate losses, obviously, but, um, you know, it, it's not, not due to the, the, the talent, you know, we got a new quarterback coming in after yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, and, and he's, he's really, uh, he, he's changed the offense up a little bit compared to that, uh, first week sort of abomination versus Cal. So if we win today, um, you know, I know Jaron of course is, is 20 years old. Not legally allowed to drink. Um, you know, I turned twenty. Uh, I'll be drinking Kool Aid. Jaron, you know, he will. He'll he'll some of the Dwight Powell special Kool Aid that that yeah, I. There we go. Perform. There we go. So, <laughs> um, you know, we've had a, gr- a great weekend of sports here in the DFW area. We didn't even obviously mention the, the Rangers winning the game series. one. Yeah, uh, we watched that after the Mavericks game. So, it, you know, by chance, if uh, Noah, if you're listening to this podcast, I um, apologize for 
not getting the article in last night because that was you know essentially the main reason why. So, but Daddy's <laughs> listening, so it's okay. Well, I got it in today, anyways. There you go. You got it. Only in. only after Josh Paredes, our uh, channel leader, uh, sent a um, message to the Slack about everybody being timely on their articles and things of that nature. So I actually didn't see that message. No, and, and Noah <laughs> made made sure that I knew that that message was uh, in the Slack. So yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It happens. You know, it happens. I've been. You know, we're, we're getting things back into effect. We had a rough uh, two-day stretch of travel here uh, between the Mainstream Mouse podcast. But, you know, what a great weekend of sports to celebrate. But uh, let's get kind of uh, back on topic, Jaron. Um, you know, obviously, I kind of just talked about the first half a little bit. Um, what did, you know, what were your thoughts from um, the first half? And I, I, I talked pretty broadly. If you'd like to get into some of the more intricate details, um, the floor is yours. Yeah, you know, obviously, you talked about a little bit of the schemes that, uh, the the Nets were running and not just that, but also how, you know, the Nets put up 59 points, but, you know, kind of had a, the Mavericks rather had a fairly good defensive half. Yeah. Uh, so I was really impressed. off to Brooklyn for some of the yeah, shots. No, absolutely. Yeah. They were making some really tough shots. Cam Thomas, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian got going there. Uh, Royce O'Neal, he kind of finished off the game a little bit better yeah. than he started. Uh, but yeah, you know, they started out the game, uh, really hot, you know, making pretty much everything. I know that at some point they were 17 for 34, on three pointers, which left them at a whopping fifty percent at halftime, uh. But yeah, they you know they had the hot hand, and all respect to them. But uh, they kind of lost it throughout the fourth quarter, and that's I think really why the Mavericks kind of took the lead. Also, Luka Doncic is Luka Doncic, that's why. Um, but yeah, you know to kind of speak up on the defense a little bit, uh, you know you could kind of tell whenever Ben Simmons was in the game in that first half, you know there wasn't much attention drawn as there should be. Uh, whenever he was on the perimeter, he was able to kind of, um not dictate the pace of the game uh, necessarily, but he was able to run some offense through him. Whenever he got going downhill, I, I think he had 10 points or eight points in this game. Yeah. Um, 10. <clears throat> 10. Yeah. Uh, you know, his bulk of the scoring was whenever he got, came downhill. Uh, there's really no stopping him. I mean, I, I forget how tall he is, but I know that he's, he's a big dude. He's not a small dude. Uh, and having him coming down off hill or uh, coming him coming downhill, uh, you know, is, is a big force to be reckoned with. And that's pretty much what happened to the Mavericks. Uh, and at some point, I know that he was going on a streak. So outside of that, I really didn't see any defensive lapses in that first half. But uh, I want to say it was, was it like 56 to 59 at half or something like that? Yeah, something like uh, that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. to me, I kind of wanted to piggyback off your point about Ben Simmons. Yeah, I thought that the Mavericks, obviously, you know, as any NBA team's going to do, you know, they're going to dare him to shoot, sag off him a little bit. But I almost thought at times that they underestimated yeah, um, his, his driving capabilities kind of to what you said, because, you know, um, there were a couple of times that the Nets just did a really good job of running him off a, a curl off where they said, a, um, no, you know, like they said, like, a, no way. What happened? Uh, Memphis scored a touchdown. <laughs> no. How many seconds left? 18. <laughs> What's the score? Yeah, 44 to 42. It about to be 45. I was a Hail Mary, bro. Like 36. They were on like the North Texas 36. So not quite Hail Mary, but like they chucked it up. So. <laughs> Oh, well, our defense is bad. All right. Yeah. Well, that's hey, at least we know with all DFW teams that train applies, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, the Rangers got good defense, no, they, uh, but the they could even have, yeah, like, they did. Uh, they could even have better defense if fucking, their starting pitchers just didn't get absolutely obliterated every single season. But, you know, we can't complain because we're in the World Series, but we are in the World Series. We're up one right, is, any, is anybody else going to make the championship this year in the DFW area, Jane? Um, 
If we're judging based off the Spurs game alone, I think the Mavericks have a chance. Oh. Um, Cowboys, uh, Cowboys, you can write off the Spurs. Uh, the, the Spurs game alone. No, not the, <laughs> the Stars game, or not Stars game, but the Stars. I know that they've looked really good. They're like five, one and one. Uh, they just lost their first like in. All right. Well, they're going to be the team that we officially delegate because they they have uh, a chance. Yes, we we can't let our uh, fandom for the Mavericks and. The Cowboys, but more specifically the Mavericks, override our uh, our unbiased predictions, of course. So, <laughs> um, yeah. um, but uh, anyhow, um, you know, getting back to things, uh, we apologize for the UNT delays. It is um, very emotionally um, encapsulating for us, especially at at our young age. We just don't know how to take in the, the, that sort of in, influx of information. But um, it, it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna mend things and, and go forward on the podcast. Um, Jaron, you know, about Ben Simmons, you know, like I was saying, the the Nets, when they were get, able to give get him in those curl-off actions, get him going downhill, um, you know, when they'd set, um, you know, like a down screen um, at the nail area, I thought he was really effective at being able to pass out of that to their corner shooters, um, did a good job getting it to Dorian when he was coming downhill on the roll. You know, a lot of the time the Mavericks would bring help from the weak side, but because he'll get – when he catches it off the curl-off, you know, it's just like one dribble till he gets to the rim, so – um, a lot of the time, the low man doesn't, you know, have enough time to slide over and make an effective enough help. So, you know, that definitely uh, was screwing the Mavericks over a little bit in that first half. Uh, Jacques Vaughn had some good play design um, on, you know, a lot of those actions where he had Simmons coming downhill to, you know, pass it out to the wing or the, uh, you know, strong side corner, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, obviously, um as, as we transition to the second half, you know, Cam Thomas got it going and the Mavericks had a, a fairly tough time with that. And then the offense started to stagnate. We talked about it earlier, but I mean, Kyrie's process in both games um, in terms of him getting to his spots, um, him making the appropriate reads um, and, you know, him controlling the pace of play, being a leader on the court, uh, you know, rebounding, um, you know, playing, you know, pest, pesty defense, even or pesky defense, whatever it is even on, you know, those smaller, uh, you know, those bigger guys uh, where he's outsized. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job. He's been on all the right spots. You know, you really see his leadership in basketball IQ rubbing off a lot more with a full training camp with Dallas, I think, um, you know, compared to the last 20 or so games he played last year. You know, you can see that just, you know, two games in, just in terms of his camaraderie with the bench and, you know, the control that he sort of has with this group. But he obviously, you know, has bared, um, a, a rough start to the sheet in the season in terms of his shooting. And, you know, uh, the Mavericks were struggling to find offense because, you know, they, they were looking to him um, as much as the Nets started to, to trap Luca at the point of attack uh, to sort of create something. And things were just kind of going in and out, not, not hitting. I mean, he started to get going a little bit in that fourth quarter, uh, but the Mavericks were having a tough time sort of uh, finding offense out of that. And, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. came in uh, pretty big a, a few times. Uh, he he only shot six for 17, and he shot five for 14 in the Spurs game. So, you know, not the best uh, numbers-wise in both of these games. But he did a really good job, I think, specifically in the San Antonio – or the, the Brooklyn game, rather, of getting to his spots. And in the San Antonio game, I thought he was just a little bit more trigger-happy and the second, you know, he even got a glimpse um, at, at a somewhat open three, he was chucking it, uh, even if it was early shot clock. I just thought that he played a little bit more savvy of an offensive game, was trying to get to those in-between spots. He split, a, uh, I believe he 
uh, split a double team one time and was able to pull for a little floater, had a lot of good possessions um, just in terms of trying to work that in between game, uh, create some sort of um, offense that the nets weren't trying to take away because, you know, they definitely made a point of emphasis, especially with that small ball lineup um, to just, you know, have a, hectic sort of swarming approach to their defense, you know, with those three and D wings, they were, they were just, um, you know, they're trapping Luca at the point of attack and then just rotating really well um, to get out to those Maverick shooters. And I think that the Mavericks started to bear some of the repercussions of that, um, you know, not having guys that were able to get to the rim until Luca really started to take over, had a couple and ones, and then he just started bombing from three in that fourth quarter, as we saw there at the end that we'll get into. Um, but, you know, outside, outside of Tim, uh, maybe Josh, one or two possessions. Um, it, it was just kind of looking thin around the margins. And Jaden Hardy was listed um, as out in that Spurs game with the ankle. And I don't believe he ever showed up on the injury report. I looked before the podcast. I couldn't find anything of him being listed on every Mavs uh, Nets injury report. So, and he, he was suited up. We can tell you is that, you know, that much. He was in pregame lines in the jumpsuit and everything, but he did not get any PT last night. Uh, they went with Seth Curry for a little stretch there in the second quarter, um, and he was able to get a nice little mid-range jump shot um, off of a you know a little screen action. But uh, the Mavericks seemingly really didn't play him much outside of that. Dante Exum got a couple minutes, and he got like a transition dunk. That was one of the you know he, he was doing a good job pushing the pace when he was in, but he did look a little uh, wonky otherwise. But he literally only played a couple minutes, so I'm not, I'm not going to really say much because there's not much to evaluate there. Um, but yeah, like there just wasn't, um, you know, with, with Kyrie being off, especially when the Mavericks did, um, you know, opt to loot, you know, opt to rest him and Luca, you know, sort of at that end of third quarter stretch, that's where, you know, really started to kind of get dry, um, offensively for Dallas in that third quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt like at times, you know, in the Spurs game, we hadn't really seen, uh, defense or offense for that matter get stagnant, but I think in this Brooklyn game, and I also, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's only the second game of the season, which I think is a large part of why this game kind of felt so stagnant at times. But, um, yeah, you know, I think it was, you know, those minutes whenever Kyrie uh, was sort of the only playmaker on the floor. Uh, you know, Seth Curry was, of course, in there at some points, as you said. Uh, but, you know, I think whenever Kyrie is the only playmaker, and this is not taking anything away from Kyrie, I just think it's beginning of the season, his shot's just not falling. He's getting to his spots. He's getting the right shots. Uh, things just aren't going down for him. And I think that's kind of why things looked a little stagnant in the process. Um, also, you know, I want to say in that time span, Dwight Powell hit a three-pointer hit a three pointer from the corner. Uh, which it was at the six-minute, six-minute, one-second mark of the fourth quarter. Oh, the four, oh okay. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think Luke had probably checked in by now. Um, yeah, he, he, he actually, it was before he started, like, going crazy. That was before yeah, he was, yeah, 14 yeah. points. Yeah. I do know that, yeah. I knew it was before he started going crazy. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think the process, as we kind of said, the process looked fine. Uh, it was just, you know, nothing was really going through for either team at that point. Um, you know, I, I think the largest lead that the Nets had got out to was an eight or nine point game. Um, and, you know, very quickly, Dallas was able to mend that and come right back. But yeah, I mean, I think at times and those sort of weird periods where, you know, you're kind of staggering Luca's minutes and trying to keep Kyrie in the game just to keep things going. Uh, that's whenever we saw this, saw the stagnation. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a Jason Kidd thing where, you know, not talking about like staggering minutes uh, from that standpoint, but I don't know if it's a Jason Kidd thing where he just needs to get Kyrie the right lineup. Uh, that way things start to flow more 
fluidly. I'm not quite sure if it's, you know, that problem. Um, but you know, outside of that, I, I think it was just kind of a shots missing. I will say this, however, um, about the first two games, I think, you know, I think there has been a large gripe of people, um, in that for in that second game necessarily, um, where like they thought guys were playing bad. I don't think it's necessarily that. I don't think guys, you know, maybe Tim Hardaway had a, a few too many bad shots, whatever it was, Grant Williams got played out in the final, you know, few minutes of the game, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. If it's necessarily that, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do on coaching. Uh, I think guys played fine as the second game of the season. You know, you can't really expect too much. Uh, I think that, you know, especially the same goes for coaching as well. But I think the rotations just need to get a little bit more pat. Uh, I know that's kind of, you know, going off topic from what we we're talking about. It almost seems like they're trying to, like, find the rotation. Though, yeah, which within, which is like yeah. I, I, I will live with that if they're trying to find the rotation. But I think that they're trying to force certain narratives, certain things. Uh, that aren't going to bear you well in the long run, and I, that's what I don't because like. Because of that. pre, because of because of pre-existing biases. Yeah, so. pre-existing biases. You know, you don't want to play Christian Wood in the fourth quarter, uh, and you know we saw it one time against Oklahoma City, and look what happened. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a Jason Kidd thing. You know, not trying to take anything away from the win. Uh, but you know that could have been much more cleaned up. Uh, it could have been a lot better of a home opener. Uh, in terms of winning and getting the job done, really. Uh, yeah. But it required 49 points and a circus shot from Luca that I will say we had a great angle of. And, you know, I can confirm, or I think we can all confirm, even Luca confirmed it, that the shot looked good whenever it did go up and it banked off the glass perfectly. Um, and the whole place erupted. No, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was fun to watch. But, yeah, um, I, I think it's just, you know, kind of a rotational cleanup in terms of the game flow. Uh, for you know, coaching and everything like that. No, yeah, I think there's a lot to clean up uh, from that perspective. But I mean, at the same time, like you said, you know, we can't over evaluate given the um, just how much you know limited film that we have to go off of. But we'll get into everybody individually before we end the podcast, and um, you know, probably less, a little bit less for you know some of the more prominent guys that we've talked about. But we, we'll talk about you know how everybody's done through two games and stuff like that. Um, but you know the rotations right now definitely are just very weird and confusing as they have been you know every season at the start at least at the start since Jason Kidd has been Dallas I hope that they do you know prove to be more definitive you know I don't think that the beginning of the season should just be treated as a trial period for you to figure everything out um you know obviously to a certain extent yes you need a couple games or whatever to get things under your belt but you know, sooner or later, you know, these games are really going to start to add up. And, you know, that's what the preseason and training camp was for. I do know that the Mavericks obviously amassed over 17,000 miles on their preseason trip and, you know, dealt with some injuries, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, things do need to get set in stone, you know, relatively quickly here, at least within the next 10 to 15, within the first 10 to 15 games. And, you know, if they're not by then, I think that's when we need to start having those discussions about, you know, certain guys, you know, needing to play more and, you know, definitively you know sort of stamping our approval on those takes because you know right now you know i can maybe give jason kidd the benefit of the doubt that he's seeing something in practice that i'm just not seeing um you know when the tapes turned on uh that could be the case uh you know just because you know first couple games guys may have some jitters you never know but you know as you know i'd say 10 15 games through you know there there needs to be a clear-cut rotation um and i you know i think and any NBA team should at least have that. So uh, that that's something that we're going to definitely be looking forward to. Um, but obviously, you know, with the Luca heroics, 
Uh, yeah, I believe that, you know, obviously the Mavericks, you know, offense is stagnated to a premium there in that fourth quarter, but you know, the Mavericks were, uh, you know, also, um, you know, on the other side of the ball, um, leaving the Nets shooters open a lot, but more, I, I think yeah. that the sort of toll of the um, amount of threes that the Nets were, you know, hoisting all game and, you know, the matchup defense that was um, just heavily reliant on the Mavericks uh, point of attack defenders uh, being stout, being able to stay in front of, you know, the likes of Cam Thomas, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, stuff like that. Um, I, I just think that um, the Mavericks didn't throw enough looks at those guys personally throughout the course of the game. I think had they got Exum in a little bit more, had they got, um, you know, Jones Jr. in a little bit more, you know, I know Josh played, I think 28 minutes in this game. Um, I, I don't money was then necessarily saying that those minutes should have gone down, but I think they just should have threw um, a little bit more, you know, I, th- I think they should have rotated the wings a lot better to your point, Jaron, because uh, I think the guys that were on the floor at that point in the game, you know, Grant Williams, who did play above 30 minutes, you know, uh, Josh Green, um, not from the standpoint that it was just too heavy of a dosage of minutes, but, you know, they, when they were in that, they were, you know, seemingly the primary defender on, um, you know, the, the, in Williams case, usually the best wing on the other ten, uh, team or, you know, uh, Green's case, you know, the best guard, whether it was Dinwiddie or Cam Thomas. And, you know, obviously both Cam Thomas and Dinwiddie were having, you know, uh, probably better games than they, they typically do. Um, but still, I don't know about Cam Thomas. That dude's averaging 32 as a starter. So, well, I mean, 32 games, but I mean, I, 32, but even through last year, even through last year. So, no, I mean, I, I know his scoring numbers. Like, I, I, I know them very well. Uh, he's a dude's a, a stud, but I, I mean, obviously, like, I know I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from his talent or potential, but he'll have to prove that he can be a long term yeah. starter, obviously, before I start looking at him as, a, you know, an all star type guy who's putting up those numbers consistently, even though, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not blind to the fact that he is, you know, a, a stat or a stat sheet stuffer from the perspective of every time that guy gets an opportunity to play more in 20 minutes, he's usually scoring above 20 points, but yeah, yeah. um, you know, we'll see how he proves that on a long-term consistent basis. If he is that guy for them, uh, cause he, you know, at the end of the year last year, his defense was so bad that Jock Vaughn wasn't even playing him in the rotation, but it definitely looked a little bit better last night. He just, he looked really good. He's definitely had a little strength. So uh, good for him. I thought he played um, probably the, second best out of anybody on the court last night uh, outside of Luca. So, I, I mean, he, he was hyper efficient and in some of the games that I've watched him where he has gone off, that has not been the case. He's just been kind of shot chucking. Um, like he had a much more calculated approach to how he was playing last night and how he was, you know, creating as the offensive initiator, which I was really intriguing. Um, if he, you know, his big thing is opening up his playmaking, but I mean, even still uh, he, he played a hell of a game last night, but I thought that the Mavericks, you know, point of attack defenders to my point, like green, you know, even Grant Williams on the wing, uh, I think they just got worn out to a certain extent uh, by the end of the game. And they started to look a lot more lackadaisical in their closeouts. Um, Guys just were preemptively reacting uh, to, you know, footwork and, you know, certain moves um, and, and getting faked out a lot easier towards the end of the game. There was at one point that Josh green, like literally like slid into the, uh, the Nets bench, uh, cause Royce O'Neal sidestepped him so hard on a pump fake three. Um, and you know, the Nets, uh, ended up making the Mavericks pay. Um, they, they started getting back into a shooting groove after taking, you know, after having, uh, somewhat of a lesser, uh, offensive, uh, you know, productive 
third quarter. And, you know, the, it, it seemed like all hope was lost until Luka Doncic with three minutes and 22 seconds left in the game just comes in Hail Mary Memphis Tigers mode and, you know, makes four straight threes. Um, I believe maybe I will not say I'm four straight possessions, maybe like within five or six possessions. I know Josh Green made some free throws in between there at the end of the game. And Luca had a pair of free throws as well, but he was the only Maverick source of offense. And um, it's like when, once that first one dropped, I mean, he just kept going for it. Um, it wasn't like the Mavericks really ran anything else. And it was just crazy. Um, it was, you know, it gave a, you know, as fans flashbacks to that uh, Rockets game, his rookie season where he made all those threes to close the game out as his sort of uh, NBA arrival moment. And, you know, for him to finish off with a almost 49 point triple double um, and have that shot with 26.3 seconds left with the Mavericks tied 120, 120 after keep, you know, hitting all those threes to keep them in the game amidst the nets, uh, you know, starting to match the Mavericks tit for tat on all those threes, you know, with them finding um, pockets on the perimeter. Uh, it, it was just a, a crazy performance. Um, and, you know, Tim Cato tweeted with a couple minutes left in the game that, you know, Luka Doncic is going to have to will the Mavericks to an insane victory in this one. And he did uh, just that. I mean, you know, he made four straight threes in a row, all, you know, all step backs. And one was literally double teamed um, sidestep, you know, at the shot clock to, you know, basically be the go ahead game winning basket with 26.3 seconds left. I mean, what, what a start to the season for him specifically, even though the Mavericks are still figuring a lot, a lot of things out. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, planting his foot uh, to win the 2023-2024 NBA MVP if he keeps playing like this. All right, guys. So, unfortunately, we did have some Wi-Fi issues amidst the weather happening here in DFW, and Jaren was not able to finish out the remainder of the podcast, but luckily your boy is here. I got us. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and finish it out for you guys. Um, We obviously don't have too much more to talk about as we kind of just wrapped up that segment about you know Luca's spectacular ending to uh the Mavericks 125 to 120 victory over the Brooklyn Nets but there are still definitely some some things that we can kind of talk about around the edges you know I touched on Dorian but I was really happy to see how you know just much of a well-received um you know ovation he got um at the arena and everything and I was you know extremely happy that he played well did you know really good in terms of you know, shooting, uh, at, you know, throughout the last sort of stretch of the game there. Um, and, you know, just some more stuff you now with the Nets. I know Dennis Smith Jr. also sort of make a made a return. He did not have the best game, unfortunately, but Jaron wore his jersey. So um, shout out to Jaron for that. Um, we were at least somewhat showing our support. Um, but, you know, I mean, just all the Nets wings, you know, like I said, from Monty Walker um, to Royce O'Neal, you know, uh, Mikhail Bridges, uh, you know, Finney Smith, all of the, all of them, you know, just um, played, you know, great three and D style basketball uh, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, we, we talked about that nauseum during the podcast, how that, uh, you know, sort of adversely affected the Mavericks throughout the game. But I just want to give a special shout out to them because, you know, I anytime I get to go to an NBA game in person, um, I always um, try to, you know, watch the guys that I usually don't get a chance to watch stuff like that. And I was really impressed by just um, the holistic shooting effort across the board from the Nets and just the way that their play style um, sort of was because, you know, without many initiators on that team, I was, I was just impressed about, you know, how 
you know, hell bent. They were at swinging the ball around the perimeter, trying to get, you know, get those threes up. Um, they do a good job at attacking uh, certain points in the defense, um, you know, just specifically on the perimeter, um, just, you know, with their ball movement. So I, I did want to give another sh- special shout out to them, but, you know, obviously, you know, if we're looking at this from the Mavericks perspective, um, you know, with the rotations that we'd kind of talked about and, um, you know, by Jason Kidd, there's obviously a lot of stuff to patch up early on. Um, nothing is completely set. And, you know, I'd mentioned this during the podcast, but we will give him a little bit of grace uh, for some of the sort of anomalies that are happening right happening right now. But, you know, it will come a point in time when these decisions are going to um, cost a lot more, not necessarily from, you know, in the wins and loss column because everything's equal right now, but, you know, in terms of getting that, you know, chemistry um, and that rotation, you know, down pat to where, you know, guys are most comfortable and thriving. Um, that's obviously a huge thing at the beginning of the season. The Mavericks still, you know, are, are working to do that. And, you know, not any burning takeaways. This is not like my definitive statement, but based on the first two games, I think that, um, you know, Dante Exum, Seth Curry, um, maybe even Hardy should should get a little bit more minutes just to see a little bit of tertiary creation. Uh, I want to see the tempo push a little bit more, um, you know, and from the, on the rebounding front, um, the Mavericks, I believe have they lost the rebounding battle in the Nets game and they not lose in the Spurs game. Okay. Well, they did a good job. I thought that that kind of follows with what I was thinking. The Mavericks did a good job kind of collectively glassing, you know, glassing out in that Spurs game. And, I mean, they did a good job of, you know, just using their strength to derail Victor. And, you know, Jaron talked about that with Grant, um, how he did, you know, such a good job keeping in him in front of him, you know, so essentially almost, you know, from that restricted area not the restricted area, but from that dotted line area in the paint uh, forward, he, he wasn't letting him, you know, kind of get past there, no matter uh, what sort of action San Antonio was trying to, you know, run through him on offense, whether it was a face up or they're trying to run him off a down screen or whatever. Um, And that, that was, you know, really key and, you know, keeping him out of that um, area, I I thought paid dividends for the Mavericks being able to stay, uh, you know, win the glass in that game. But, you know, even against a, a team that only played a technical big, in day round sharp for three minutes before you picked up, you know, a couple um, fouls, if I believe, or something like that. And Brooklyn, he had a couple wonky plays and Jock Vaughn, uh, you know, pulled him pretty quickly there. I can't remember specifically what it was, but he, he did score real quick when he was in, but, you know, the Nets essentially playing small ball all, you know, all game. Um, obviously, you know, they did a great job just collectively boxing out and getting to those longer misses. Like we talked about and the Mavericks have got to do a better job of like patching stuff like that up. Cause you know, while the Mavericks may have had a huge height advantage, they they did not have the strength, hustle, and effort advantage, right? And you know, a couple you know guys that came in and did show that they had that last last night, um, you know, Dwight Powell, and we didn't really get to talk to him him about much uh, in that game, but I mean, he played um, phenomenal, uh, you know, defense when he got in. He didn't really play in the first game because of an illness and. We talked about how just atrocious his defense was over the preseason, but it was just a total 180 when he came in there today. He was heavily switchable. You know, Jason Kidd had talked a little bit about in his uh, media availability after the game, how Dwight Powell had historically guard Ben Simmons good. And, you know, in, in theory, it does make sense given the, the body type that Powell is, you know, being almost a bigger bodied wing in a center's body. You know, I mean, I know he is 6'10", but he kind of does move like a wing and, he suffers from the same sort of deficiencies that they would if they were trying to protect the rim, you know, that being is his length and, um, you know, some, I guess at this stage in his career, even his verticality, 
Um, so, you know, that's obviously a huge thing, but, you know, he still is pretty quick footed for his size. Um, still, you know, keeps his body in great shape, hustles really hard. And, you know, against some of these bigger body wings, um, who aren't, you know, too fast to where they're just going to cook him. Like, you know, Cam Thomas was able to, you know, a couple possessions, but, you know, Powell can get down and, you know, play some good defense. And he even was able to anchor down on Mikel Bridges. There was one possession, uh, slightly biased as this clip up on his Twitter, if you guys can find it. Um, but Dwight, um, anchored down and, you know, guarded multiple, uh, Nets defenders at the point of attack, um, switched on to, I believe like two or three guys, uh, within a singular possession and locked all of them up to where they, um, had to keep passing the ball around. I mean, it was just one of his better defensive games I've ever seen. Uh, I don't expect him to play, you know, that prolific on a night to night basis, but, you know, in terms of the whole rotation argument with lively, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be too hypercritical of it because of how, you know, he played. I, I do think that Maxi um, offensively needs to really get it together because, you know, him playing over lively was a lot more of a head scratcher because even if, you know, you want to make the argument, of, you know, Powell's defense, you know, being as good as it was last night and the Mavericks sticking with him, you know, strictly from, you know, they, them not wanting Derek to get played off the court uh, due to, um, you know, him having to guard the perimeter, which, I mean, I thought he did a great job of, like we said. I mean, there were a couple possessions, yes, that he got beat off, you know, by maybe Dinwiddie or uh, Cam Thomas. But, I mean, more often than not, he was able to anchor down on those guys. And, you know, those are not easy guys to contain either, especially to his size. So uh, I didn't think that there was a reason to pull to pull him, especially, you know, given the the dividends that he pays offensively. But I mean, Dwight Powell hitting that corner three uh, in the fourth quarter, I guess you really can't complain much. But going forward, that's going to be an interesting dynamic because you know Lively is officially the starter now after the Mavericks, you know, rolled out Kleber to you know sort of test the air, I guess, in that first game versus Wimbanyama, maybe not wanting to throw Lively the second right into the fire as we all thought they were going to. So that's going to be you know one of the biggest dynamics to uh, you know watch because Lively looked really good in his limited minutes last night. Um, looked like he could guard the perimeter, um, but you know that confidence just wasn't instilled, you know, with in, in him from a coaching perspective. He didn't even register any personal fouls. It wasn't even a foul trouble thing. So um, that's obviously going to be huge to look at. You know, Maxi, like I said, you know, had a pretty underwhelming game uh, from the perspective that you know he just wasn't really looking for his shot. Didn't even shoot one three in this game. Um, you know, had a couple openings, but um, just didn't look too aggressive. And um, you know, looked like he you know looked decent from an interior. Uh, sort of help side perspective on defense, you know, being in the right place, rotating, you know, using his body to deter, uh, you know, some of those smaller wings on the nets. But, um, you know, when he when he was um, matched up with guys one on one perimeter, um, did not look as good as his buddy Dwight, which usually isn't the case. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how that kind of continues to operate. I really hope Derek Jones Jr. starts to get his shot coming along because I think that that will lead to more minutes. But otherwise, he's like, you know, really good. He just hasn't really been involved in a lot of actions. Um, where the Mavericks have, you know, got him cutting or going downhill. The Mavericks, I think, need to run a lot more of that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, when Luca was operating at the hyper-efficient clip that he was last night, I mean, you just let the guy keep shooting if he was doing what he was. But uh, especially, you know, the at the rate, you know, Kyrie wasn't, you know, really hitting. But uh, in that Spurs game, the Mavericks ran so many op more off-ball actions uh, just to, not to involve, like, their wings, you know, with – Jones Jr. and Josh and stuff like that. Uh, but to get like Kyrie involved with the Luka and, you know, direct screen actions, there just wasn't as much stuff like that. Last night was a lot more isolation based. I don't know if that's because, you know, maybe Brooklyn's personnel um, being able to, you know, pick passing lanes apart a lot harder uh, maybe than the the Spurs could. But, you know, I, that's something I think that has got to improve because even, you know, as, as, as 
crazy as Luka Doncic's abilities to will this team to a victory like that are, you know, they can't be relied about, uh, upon on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, Jason Kidd relied upon them, you know, last night to to win the game. But, you know, it, that decision um, may, you know, not always pay dividends, you know, especially uh, if Luka is not in the zone like he usually is, you know, if the, if the offense is stagnating elsewhere. So there's still plenty of things to to wrap up. And, you know, like Jaron said, those these two days off are going to be integral for this team to, you know, hopefully sort their, their rotation a little bit better and get a little, you know, a little bit more of a clear understanding of where they're at and patch up some of these defensive holes. Cause you know, we've seen good and bad on both sides of the ball through two games, but you know, you can make every excuse in the book in terms of who we're playing compared to the other four, uh, two and O teams. But I mean, we are two and O at the end of the day, so we'll take it. We can't, you know, we got to enjoy these wins, man. They're fun, dude. Like, especially after last year, I, I had such a great time going to these games. I cannot overemphasize that enough. I had a uh, complete blast seeing the Mavericks, you know, go on before him. Um, one other guy, I guess we can touch up on before we end the podcast. And this is kind of off topic towards where I was going, but I just saw it come up. Grant Williams. I thought he did play a pretty good game. Um, he had a couple, uh, I guess, sort of dupes offensively where, you know, he like missed a pass and, you know, there were a couple threes I thought he should have probably made. Um, but overall, he played, thought he played good defense. He's got a little bit of foul trouble. that kept him out of the game there late in the game, but you know, the lively, um, rotation concerns are definitely a lot more prevalent especially if he's going to actually play this good uh throughout you know he, he hasn't shown signs of slowing down defensively and is like just as good offensively um maybe you know his rebounding took a little bit of a hit but we didn't get a good sample size of him in that second game so those are going to obviously be huge going forward and i'm excited to answer them i want to see you know if hardy gets in um you know now that he's technically healthy i believe a lot of stuff you know dante Exum getting more minutes we're gonna have a lot of prevailing narratives uh sort of come to the forefront but you can't complain too much um, when you're up two and zero, so those things will hit harder when we do lose games, and I'm sure that those storylines will prevail themselves more as they did last year. Um, but you know, I, I definitely see the writing on the wall for some stuff to happen here. But I, you know, these these pa- practices are integral, especially at the beginning of the season, especially since I don't think the Mavericks really have their stuff together yet, and I don't think that they have a set rotation. I think the coaching staff is still kind of wanting to sift through these things, you know, unfair or fair as that may be. You know, you know, if you think that they should have had that sorted out by now, right? So that that's going to be you know increasingly interesting going forward. Seeing how the shot distribution, the rotations, all that sort of stuff, It'll be so fun to cover going forward. And you know, I'm just glad we got off to a good start with this season and with the podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in as long as you have. If you listen to this whole episode, you are a real one. We really do appreciate you. Make sure to check out any of Darren and I's content on the SmokingCuban.com. Like we said. Make sure to get at our personal Twitters at Will Mill J at Jaron Boslow. We post everything with the podcasts and our articles over there. We're also doing stuff with pro sports fans, PSF app, where we're live streaming games. You couldn't game cast the games um, because we were obviously at the games, the first two games. And um, but we're going to be doing live game cast during the games where you guys can come interact, uh, watch the live stream while you're watching the game, while we're watching the game, um, get in the chat with us and talk to us on the live stream. Um, very multi-dimensional sort of platform that we're doing and I'm doing it with Jaron and uh, another partner um, that we have over at pro sports fan, uh, Grayson Gradkey. You can find his Twitter at Grayson Gradkey 25. And, you know, we're going to be doing big things over there. And we have our first official game cast coming with the game on Monday. Cause we're finally not going to a game. Uh, not necessarily relief because they were really fun, but definitely relief from the content perspective, how much easier that will be. Cause you know, I'm not on media row, so I can't just write during the game. Of, you know, I wish I could, I can, you know, take notes and stuff on my phone, but only so much I can do, but stay tuned. We got a lot, a lot more stuff coming in. We're only going to be cranking it out more and 
you know, thank you for listening to the mainstream mass podcast. You guys got this far in the podcast, subscribe to our YouTube. Uh, you know, if you're going to make a comment down below, um, I'll give you guys a good comment to do since Jaron kind of knacked me for not giving you guys a good enough, uh, you know, prompt to, to comment down below, um, comment down below. Um, who do you think is going to be the quote unquote Mavs all-star versus the, uh, Mavericks on, you know, Monday versus Memphis. Cause there always is one uh, guy that, you know, performs, you know, vastly better than expectations, uh, in a game that, you know, he usually wouldn't play. I know the Mem- Grizzlies obviously have some injuries uh, and some guys out with, you know, jaw and Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. So that, that, you know, that's why I bring that question up, you know, see if Santi Aldama, John Concha, or one of those guys just goes off like they usually do against the Mavs. Um, or if you don't think there's going to be anybody, and don't uh, comment nobody down below. The Mavericks will take the victory over decisively. I like that too. Just let me know. Um, but yeah, um, otherwise, make sure if you're on another listening platform, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, get at us on those. Give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it if you guys turn on post notifications, all that sort of stuff to support our show. It means a lot. And if you guys do actually listen to our show or frequent our show, um, it'll help you stay in the loop with what we got going on in terms of our feed and stuff, as well as our Twitter mainstream mouse podcast twitter at mainstream 214 uh, as you guys can see my voice is going away i've been shouting a lot the last two days the last two days of games but it was all worth it and i'm happy i got to cop on the podcast and get this content out to you guys y'all have a blessed saturday night if you see this then or sunday if you're watching it then or even monday if you're watching it ahead of the game uh but other than that this has been will with the mainstream mouse podcast and we will catch you guys in the next one after monday night peace out